Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'll never sleep again. Oh, yeah. All right, you ready? Are you plugged in? I'm plugged in. You plugged in? I'm plugged in. Just make it nice and close to you. Bring it in closer. We don't have the fancy t- tools to t- to make the changes to the audio, so we've got to make it nice and close. Well, that was very good, that accent. Like, you finally you? got your accents right. That's nice. All right. Well, we're recording now, so we can start any time you like. Oh, there you go. There, you were doing so well with your accents, and now you've just fucked it. So um. always quit while you're ahead. <laughs> That's the moral of that story. Oh. Now, welcome to Chickstree. Welcome to Chickstree. We're your hosts, Evie Jones and Annie Potatoes. We are um, correct. Is I mean, her no, real we name? Correct. We are. Um, comma correct. It's a beautiful time that we're living in. We're out of lockdown. We yeah. had social engagements this weekend. I'm still recovering. I didn't even drink and I have like a social hangover that I had to sleep through. Yeah, same. Everyone I've spoken to is the same. Everyone. Exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah, yeah you said to me that you're um, – what did you say? Let me find the text message. But you said my introvert muscle is extrovert. atrophied. Yeah, extrovert muscle. Mm. It's hard to be ex- extroverted again. Like it's really yeah. exhausting and everyone is going through it, um, mm. which is really nice because we're all going through it. Yeah. You yeah, know, we tried to... T- we tried to back up. We did. We did a. We did a dinner. Well, we did sort of a get together, drinks at someone's house, and then we did a, a barbecue the next day. And it, we and I just was flat. I just didn't have the flattened didn't have, us. have it in me. It flattened us. Yeah. It flattened. Yeah. We had a. I finally, finally had to have. Um, got to have people over to my new home. So I moved yeah. in first of July. Yeah, and right. it's nearly November, <laughs> and I've finally had guests to my home. You, of course, have been to my home. Oh, I can't yeah. get out, you out of my home, but no. others, new people, it was lovely. But um, I was thinking today, I, I think we'll just be going out because you've got that two-hour gap. <laughs> Yeah, and then we can. I know we've got an excuse in, to go When home. it's in your, you left, and I was like, "Can you get everyone to leave with you?" I was sorry. Do you remember through my question no. to going? Can you get all of them yeah. to go yeah. with you at the same time? Yeah. Everyone left in drips and, and drabs. Just start, I said, "Just start cleaning up around them," and oh, I did, and it made no difference. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone yeah. left dribs and drabs yeah. until I had two extremely drunk men left <laughs> watching Madonna being interviewed by Oprah. 
Wow. Because that You went there after In Bed With Madonna? Yeah, yeah. Well, it just came on um, automatically. And, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, okay, this is your last drink, boys. I had to say something. I had to say, you've got to go. And they were so hammered, the two of them. They <laughs> stumbled out of my house onto the street. I'm taking rubbish out with me and they're like, give them to me, give it to me. I can put it in the bin for you. Uh, you know, and there was those drunken hugs in the middle of the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they went out. Did you hear? Did they Did they party on? I don't think so. I mean, I don't. Because, I, mm. I, maybe, maybe. Because but where I, we live, which is very mm, close to Chapel to Street, is was basically, con- was is was a zoo. You could, you could say it was. Did you um, see it? I didn't. No, I didn't see it, um, but I saw the footage that you showed me from yeah. Jackie Felgate, and it didn't get any better. On well, they were both walking in different directions. So, oh, okay, yep, yep. I'd say that yep. you know one of them would have walked right into the throng of it, and the other one was just. But they were both stumbling. I do know that yeah. much. That's all I do yeah. know. Anyway, it was nice to see everyone. I've had everyone over to my house. I won't need to have anyone over again for at least another year. So <laughs> done. That's just yeah. how I feel today. Come next weekend, yeah. I will be yeah. fine. You and I are looking at a little getaway because everyone is looking at a little getaways and oh, so yeah. we should be. Um, and I did forward you a tiny house because mm-hmm. you and I you, you like to camp I do not like to camp right. um so we came up with this genius idea look let's tell everyone about it because it's so genius it I think genius. other people will pick it up if they yeah. haven't already yeah. the idea is find a property with a tiny house on it yeah and rent and that out the website you use ripper ride ripper ride yes and there's also hippocat hip Hip camp as well, yep. and there's also another one? another one called Yule Yule Utoid or something like that, and that's Yule really good right. one as well. I can't remember what oh, it is, okay. but let's stick with Ripper Ride. Yeah, Ripper yep. Ride. I found this beautiful little tiny house on a property next to a river or a dam or something beautiful, and. I'll hire that. You'll bring your bell tent and you'll set mm-hmm. your bell tent up and we'll mm-hmm. share the toilet. Yeah. Done. Because I, yeah. I, what I've actually written in the message is, hi, just hi. You know how you hi. always do that? Hi. Yeah. Hi. Um, is it okay if there's two of us, but is it okay if one of us pitches their tent um, due to snoring? <laughs> That's all I've written. <laughs> Oh, you're, not, you're not lying because, yeah. No, that's really all you're going to use it for is lying down. So I can't and imagine. It, yeah. And you should have said, and is it is it insulated because I snore pretty loud and I reckon you would probably be able to hear me from the host house even if you are three kilometres away. Yeah. <laughs> what, for them or for <laughs> you and me? Because I was going to say. Except if, for you. If the tiny house isn't insulated, you just pitch your tent a little bit further away. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of a tent. Yeah. You can pitch true. it anywhere. <laughs> true, true. I'll that. wake up in the morning and I'll go into your tent and like, where's she gone? And there you are in the car asleep. <laughs> oh, this wouldn't be the first time I had to do that when we went camping 
mm. and really, really rained. hot. It was like 43 degrees. Oh, right. Not rain. I had to sleep in my car with the aircon on because it was so hot in the tent. You would that, have hated it. That is is absolutely my worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It was you couldn't escape it. It was thick, really yeah. thick, dry heat. It was awful. No, anyway, uh, what have you been watching this week? Um, watching impeachment up to date on that. Oh yeah, that was a that was a good last episode, wasn't it? Just made me very angry, very angry. Yeah. I would really like to have a chat with Monica, and I want to know why, how she kept living. I, honestly, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens to people that they kill themselves over. And the last episode is her seeing him on watching Clinton on the television saying, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And she's saying to her mum, he's lying, you know. And her mum, the way her mum was so optimistic, the mum says, sweetheart, it's all going to be gone by next week. No one's going to remember anything. I don't I know, know why she's, she's got a southern accent. She's from California. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, my God, does. this poor woman who still to this day has this thing defined her entire life, her yeah. pretty much her entire it adult is, life. It is remarkable that she survived that because, mm. yeah, it just, the, just the despair that she felt, you know, when watching that and then all the stuff they started to to bring up and, when she says to her mum, you know, everything they're saying is true. You know, mm. I did I did have an affair with my teacher. I did go to fat camp. I did have an affair mm. with the President of the United yeah. States. It's all true. But, you know, that teacher that came out and made out like she yeah. was stalking yeah. him and his family and he'd got yes. her to move there so they could still be together. I mean, her only crime, I believe, is being an absolute victim of the patriarch, which is being sold as a child the idea that falling in love and having a romantic um, ever happily ever after is the only important thing in the world. It was more important yeah. than her career. It was yeah. more important than her anything you know and she was completely focused on him completely focused on every guy that she's ever been with and the only other thing that she was just as focused on was her the fact that she was overweight yeah and you know I know from experience myself I know a lot of women friends of mine these are the two things that we've only ever been obsessed with yeah and it's a really fucking sad state of affairs that we are bringing young women up this way mm. um i think that was mm. her biggest crime if if you want to call it a crime it's certainly not a crime but you know he really took advantage yeah of yeah. this young girl and i never knew you know watching that do you remember i was it was night 97 i think so mm. i was 25 well, she or was the, she was yeah, before memes were a thing, she was the meme. She was everywhere. Mm. She was, she was the Saturday Night Live joke. Mm. She was the you know everyone the late night the late night talk show jokes and the yeah. and they showed the writers' to, room. They show they show a scene of the writers for Jay Leno coming up with the bits for mm. him, and they mm. are so disgusting. They made me revolting. physically ill yeah, watching it's it. And how everyone just thought she was so funny. And he, 
never even lost his job. No, no. Makes no. made me very angry. Anyway, antidote to mm. the Bill Clintons and the impeachment shows of the world. Fucking Ted Lasso. This yes. is a show that everyone, can I just give some advice to anyone out there, anyone that is stressed by a pandemic, anyone that is stressed by no work or anti-vaxxers or lockdown or just any kind of stress in your life, I've just realised because on Friday night I went to bed so friggin' angry because of impeachment. Saturday night I went to bed going, oh, there is hope in the world. Oh, and it just made me happy. I was crying really happy tears because I've gotten to the end of season one and there's such yeah. beautiful connections in this show um, and especially between, you know, the, the hard-ass people, the characters who are the hard yeah. ones and how they get broken down with love. And, you know, it's so uh, and uh, saccharine, but it's exactly what I need. It, it is exactly yeah. what I, the medicine I need right now because I went to bed smiling. I, I don't think I've done that in a little while. That's good. That's mm. good. I came home on Saturday night and on your recommendation, decided to give it a go. And I also just purchased a projector for my that we ceiling get going. that we couldn't yeah. get going at your house, but then it worked fine on mine mm. when I got home. Um, that's the story of our lives with uh, mm. tech. Um, but, yeah, and so I started watching it and I watched an episode and I was like, oh, God, they really get right into the story, don't they? Like it's really, it's like, oh, yeah, this is good. And then I realised I'd watched season one of episode two. No, episode yep. one of season two. Oh, classic yo. <laughs> I haven't even watched that episode yet. How was it? <laughs> it was confusing, wasn't it? It was really confusing. Oh, because because you'd already told me about it. I think I was like, oh yeah, that's the that's the ex wife of the you know that that must be that person. And so I was like, oh yeah, kind of put it all together. But I was like, when do you thought they got? Oh, they right didn't really into give it. you much backstory. Background. Like, yeah. yeah, I was like, oh okay, I'll go oh. with it. But oh, yeah, anyway, God. so I'll need to start again from the yeah. Um, you will. Beginning. And <laughs> truth be told, I actually it took me three goes to get into it. I kept yeah. watching that first episode going, no. I don't know, I don't know, I don't think this is for mm. me and deciding it wasn't. But, and then I'd have another person tell me to watch it and I'm like, there's. And then I saw them win at the um, Emmys mm -hmm. and everyone was so, not the people who won, obviously they were happy, but everyone around them was so happy that this show won because mm. it proves that, you know, they kept saying it proves that a really gentle, kind show can win um, yeah. Yeah. in the the mayor of East Towns, in all of the, you know, like amongst yeah. all of the, the, the drama that we have and the twists that we need. Show doesn't have any twists. Yeah. It's, it's just a beautifully, and, and it's got all these lovely little moral um, mm -hmm. lessons in it that, you know, mostly come from him, the main character, but the the rest of them, all of them, I mean, it's just there's a lot I could roll my eyes about, but I don't. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I actually just enjoy the ride instead and go, this is lovely. This is just a lovely feel-good show that makes me feel good. I've been listening to a new podcast. <laughs> Have you? 
I have. It's not like you. I know, and uh, it's a bit of a different one, but I'm giving it a go. It's the um, Daniel Johns. It's oh. called Who is Daniel Johns? Cue Who yawn. Is? Who <laughs> is Daniel Johns? <laughs> you just let out the biggest yawn when I said that. Did um, I? I didn't mean yeah. to. So it features, you know, people from his past like Natalie Imbruglia and the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. What's his name again? Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan. What's he got to do with it? Well, he's a, he's a, a luminary. Well, what's a luminary? Oh, a luminary is they um, an expert in the field in someone's oh, that's field. Right. That's yeah, right. a luminary. So like a farmer, <laughs> an expert in your field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. dad jokes. I've been I watching too much yeah, Ted Lasso. Totally, totally a dad joke. I um, yeah, and I've I've listened to one. I think there's only one app out at the moment, but it's um. Yeah, it's made by some podcasting heavyweights. I've never heard of them before and I couldn't find what else they had done. But, look, I'm in for the ride. I'm I'm curious to know about who know, he is. Who he is. Who he really is. Who he really I'm is. I'm just you know looking it up Newcastle now. Still? Yeah. Yeah, he bought a place there. Yeah, for about five minutes from where his mum yeah. still lives. But bless him. And Have you seen his house? Two dogs. Uh, I'm going to Google it because it sounds amazing. It's because the, yeah. the host is walking around the house with him and he's like, well, this is going to sound stupid because, I mean, no one can see anything. He's like, it's audio only. And she's like, no, no, that's okay. Just describe things. And, he, do, you know, if you do feel like you're there in his home getting a tour and getting shown around all the bits and pieces and mm. surprisingly he doesn't have any silver chair stuff he won't he he looks at that part of his life like it's a very complicated weird time um but he said look when, when we go to my mum's house she has all the silver mm. chair stuff so that's good and then I thought the other thing I wanted to tell the listeners about which I thought they would really enjoy because I'm reading a really good book at the moment um and it's called how to stop time by Matt Haig and it's such a good little history piece because it's about a guy who time travels and he can't he's like a bit of a Benjamin Button kind of he can't he doesn't get old he stopped growing and getting old at the age of kind of 18 19 and he has to keep moving places because people go how come you don't get any older but like he, he was born in like like the age of Adeline with Blake yeah kind of like that yeah so she he has, has to, to keep moving yeah, because yeah, it's very yeah, very similar. So he's he's born he's been around for four hundred years, but it go cuts backwards and forwards between his life, all his life in all the different places. And every time you get transported back to a life, the historical information is fascinating because he's sort of goes back yeah. to you know England in the eighteen hundreds. And I've just um, read a chapter where he's met Shakespeare, and it's oh, it's very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's very cool, and it goes right up to today. He's in he's in London today, and he's a history teacher. So is it, it's funny. Um, a doc is a um, nonfiction. <laughs> what what do you think? <laughs> Is it a biography? It's a biography um, of this guy. He's 472 years old and he looks all right for a 472-year-old. And he's a good so, writer. 
he's and a he's a writer. Really, well, he's, he's had a, a few really years to learn how to do it. Anyway, so this like week that. we're talking about women uh, in food. Not women in food. Women and food. You know, I've been shooting a TV show for Channel 9 called Snack Masters. Yes, you are a woman in food. I am a woman in food. You are a woman in food. And you'll eat anything that you put into my mouth. And hold it with it. Let it burn your roof of your mouth. Over and over again. What do I choose? What do I gotta choose? Oh, we we crack ourselves up. Yeah. Hopefully someone else is laughing with us. Hopefully. Um women in food. Yeah, I'm doing the Snackmaster show and I'm doing twisties and I did say to them do you think we should fill a tub of twisties and put me in it and they went would you because it was one of the options but everyone in the meeting went no she would never say yes to that I said are you kidding I would sit in a bath of twisties and they went oh it's too late now and I was like next season it'd be it wouldn't be comfortable would it like it'd be like well I'd say you'd get in and then they well yeah oh right yeah you'd get in and they'd fill it up with you but look at you you're always the practical thinker I'm thinking like they would have filled the bath and then you've got to get in the bath no that's ridiculous you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) oh so okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of a um look back in history at women and and food and I'm gonna give you a little little chick in the now and then you're gonna now, oh, chicken and now, bringing it back. Okay, do it to the song we just did. I am a chicken now, and I and I do anything to get into the history books. Here's my version. Okay, I am a chicken. In the now, and I do anything to be a chick in the now. <laughs> it's just very repetitive. <laughs> so, um, got this. Got got some info um, during my research from a couple of websites: Encyclopedia.com, the Trove. You know, we love the Trove, um, and also a website called Learning with Experts. So historically and culturally, women have taken responsibility for providing food for their families. We know this, right? From female shamans and medicine women to leading pioneers in food science, women have been and continue to play an important role. From the earliest days of prehistory, women have not only nurtured society with their own kinds of cookery, but also figured predominantly in the agricultural innovation that to this day feeds much of the world. And this is the part I found really fascinating that we women have actually done that you know we've been responsible for the agricultural innovation Mm. and a lot of the time you would think that that was men and their farms and their cattle but no Um, in the earliest nomadic societies that survived on foraging and hunting the foragers were almost always females men's contributions were through the hunt recent archaeological findings suggest that diet was largely vegetative vegetative Vegetative. No. Vegetative. 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 Yeah. 
Uh, and not nearly as meat-centred as it once seemed to indicate. The extended paleo. Women, paleo, yeah. That's people trying to sell their diets, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying, well, right. this is how it was. It's what we only used to eat meat. This is Protein, what we are really supposed to do. And it's just not true. Yeah, it's not. Uh, the extent of women's knowledge must have been vast as they knew where in their wanderings specific plants were to be found at different times of the year and which parts of the plants were edible in different stages of their life cycle. This early gender-based pattern still exists and survives in such nomadic cultures as the African Bushmen. It has been suggested that the division of food responsibility was a consequence of women's limited mobility resulting from childbearing and extended periods of childcare. Their familiarity with plants and their own identification with creating a new life were undoubtedly factors in their monumental innovation, the formation of the first organised agriculture, 8000 BCE, which stands for... Before Christ ever. Exactly. Just to interrupt you for a second mm. there, mm. Um, I posted this on our Chick Street. Did you see the TikTok that we posted recently about a woman talking about why so many of us are right-handed? I did see that, yeah. It was good, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I'll post it again because that has something to do with women in food because it comes from breastfeeding and then holding the child with their left um, because that's where the heart is and it, it calms a baby by being held close to the heartbeat of a mother. They would use their right arm to do everything else and over time we evolve mm-hmm. um, with a stronger right side of our body. So isn't yep. that incredible? It's and the way at the end she says, if we put women in the history books, we'd already know this. Yeah, we don't. That's why we do this podcast, Evie. Exactly. Evidence of the high regard women earned is reflected cross-culturally in the stories of universal origin, even up to and including subsequent patriarchal systems. For example, in ancient Greco-Roman mythology, the story of Demeter, the goddess of agriculture and fertility. What's going on with my mouth today? It is a Monday. Come on. God. Okay. For example, in ancient ancient in ancient Greek. <laughs> For example, in ancient Greco-Roman mythology, the story of Demeter, the goddess of agriculture and fertility, and her daughter Persephone. 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 Acknowledge Acknowledge women's responsibility for developing agriculture and the origin of the growing seasons. Agriculture did more than feed people. It changed basic human society. Food could now be produced in one place and stored there for year-round availability. It enabled the formation of permanent settlements that preceded the growth of civilizations. Women's agricultural revolution was followed by men's development of domesticated herds and large animal husbandry how surprising how surprising hmm can we just talk about that for a second really that women are responsible for the agricultural revolution Mm. they really are like they were they are and we've given them no one's given them any any kudos no men have once again taken all the glory yes you think of agriculture, you think of a farm, you think of a farmer, you think of a man. Yeah. You think of um, farmer, you think 
You think old of- McDonald? Certainly wasn't old McDonald S, was it? No. Um, during this time, women continued their long-established custom of cooking privately indoors to strengthen family ties and health. When men cooked, it was usually outdoors for other men. They were serving the religious, political, and social needs of the community. Each mm. gender had its own kind of pots and specific areas of cuisine. Women mm. slow-cooked moist dishes of grain and vegetable in clay stew pots, while men tended to roast or grill meats with iron equipment. This remains today in women's daily cooking and men's backyard barbecues. Spot on. Isn't it funny? We had a barbecue on the weekend and I decided (laughs) to. I noticed that too. You were doing the barbecue and one of the men came and actually took the tongs off you. Twice. Uh, Mm -hmm. Two men on two different occasions came out Mm -hmm. and took the tongs off me and and Mm -hmm. gave it a little go. Yep. And I said, thanks very much. I've got this. Um, mm. You can go back inside now. Mm. And I think it probably, they died a little bit inside. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a because, man's job yeah. to, to hold tongs to and hold turn tongs. meat. That's it. Now, how good was that barbecue, by the way, that I cooked? It was really good. Um, we just ate some more of it today, me and the girls. Oh, good. Good. So thank you for cooking that barbecue. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, so there's a couple of interesting little moments from history around food that I wanted to also flag. In mm. 1789, there was something that was called the Women's March on Versailles, uh, and women were frustrated by the price and scarcity of bread in Parisian food markets, and mm. it actually resulted in them ransacking the city of its weapons and taking their complaints to King Louis the Ten. 16th. 16th in what are they called roman numerals. numerals and because of this the king begrudgingly returned to paris where negotiations negotiations between the people and the monarchy began this was one of the earliest and most significant events of the french revolution spurred on by women trying to buy bread to feed their families we oui, we oui. Now, on to cookbooks more often uh male writers such as Straight White Man 1 and Straight White Man 2 um, were writing for this female audience um, using recipes from women's manuscripts without noting their sources. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not talking Bernays, about Were they Berenays? Were they Hollandaise? Beat you to it. I beat you to it, Dad. Or, or <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. So good. I just love it. I love it. By the 18th century, middle-class women driven by economic need began publishing cookbooks for other women under their own names. The first known cookbook published by an American was written by Amelia Simmons. It was first published in 1796 and its full title is Are You Ready? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Are You Ready? I'm, I'm, I'm bracing you because it's very long. Okay. American cook, imagine going into a Dimmix and going, hi, just wondering, hi. do you have this book? Um, I'm just looking for this book. It's called American Cookery or the Art of Dressing Viands, Fish, Poultry and Vegetables and the Best Modes of Making Paste, Puffs, Pies, Tarts, Puddings, Custards and Preserves and all kinds of cakes from the Imperial Plum to Plain Cake adapted to this country and all grades of life. Um, no, we book? just ran out. <laughs> but we do have... <laughs> 
What, but we've got this Woman's well? Weekly special one. You'd just like to have that, give that yeah. a red hot go. And then in the early 20th century, a woman called Elsie Widowson, um, she oversaw the idea of adding calcium to bread. Her work, mm. along with her partner, a paediatrician, significantly improved the diets of British people. Earlier this year, the BBC included her in a collection of overlooked British women whose research has changed the world. Isn't that fascinating? There really yeah. is. Once you start researching, you really do uncover these so many amazing things about amazing what women things. have done. Oh my god! Just it doesn't stop. That's the thing. Can't we stop. We will won't never stop. ever not have something to, to talk about. Be yeah, sources of this podcast. So my chicken and now today. Yeah, I thought this Who's was. I thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to highlight an Indigenous woman and the, um, what she's doing around food, food and traditional bush foods and Aboriginal cooking. So a woman by the name of Jodie Orcha, she's a Barkindji Uralari woman mm-hmm. uh, from Brewerina, from Brewer, mm-hmm. from Brewer, Brewer, Brew. <laughs> How would you say this? B-R-E-W-A-R-R-I-N-A. B-R-E-W. Brew. What's the after W? A-R-R-I-N-A. Brewerani. Brewerina. Just just say it as best you can without the (laughs) You just just say Brewerani. Brewery, you know what it is. It's the brew and the r following yeah, bra, it. Brewery, brewerina, brewerina. Okay, brewerina, 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 brewerina. Northwestern hey. New South Wales. Yes, yeah. she's been on a mission to teach people uh, about traditional bush foods and Aboriginal cooking. She's entrusted by Gadigal elders to explain uses of Sydney region bush food and medicinals. She was born into a large family in northwest of New South Wales where she had a strong connection to land. Her family relied on the environment as a source of food and ate according to the seasons. The women were responsible for creating hearty feasts while the men sourced the meat. The whole dish would then be centred around the protein with veggies and salad on the side. Emu, kangaroo, porcupine and sheep made regular appearances at the table, but fresh seafood was Jodie's favourite. If her father, uncle or cousins went down to the river to fish, the rest of the family would follow. Jodie remembers these family river trips, spending hours catching crayfish, yabbies, murray cod and golden perch, which they called yellow belly. Mm. So in 2007, Jodi started investigating the way Aboriginal people's cultural knowledge is protected. She accepted a job with New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service where she worked with Aboriginal discovery rangers and she started thinking, where's the protection for all of their information that they're passing on? So Jodi was committed to finding a way to learn and share the customs and cultural knowledge of the Aboriginal people who owned them and relied on them for survival. She started researching 
the availability of bush food in Australia and was shocked to find that the people talking about native food were mostly non-Aboriginal. She goes on to say, if people are using cultural knowledge to harvest or grow their own crops or finger limes, well then I'd like them to recognise and demonstrate their respect by providing Aboriginal people with an economic opportunity for employment and land management. Good on you, girl. She should. I I think we should have a lot more Indigenous cuisine. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, 100%. We need to be embracing um, Indigenous cuisine. Indigenous, exactly, yeah. And having Indigenous chefs, Indigenous menus, Indigenous – and there's so many different types, you know, going to different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. You've got completely different types of foods being made in completely different ways. Like how wonderful. You know, we've brought so many foods in with our immigrants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we love them all. Yeah. We love food as humans. There's a place for for Indigenous food as well. Mm -hmm. And we need to really get to know it more. Yeah, so she says exactly that. Whether it be desert, alpine, rainforest or coastal area, get to know the Aboriginal people, country and what they use. The different plants and animals, it's about recognising where you live and what's there. Yeah, so I, I just think let's start researching and having a look at, into, you know, who was living on country where you are and what were they eating. And I bet you if you go for a little walk, you'll probably yeah. see, you know, yeah, half of the things that- I live, my suburb is an indigenous name. It's a word, mm. indigenous word that means, I think, by the river. There would have been so many. There would be so many amazing stories about you know what they ate here and how yeah. they cooked it and all sorts of things before any white fella ever yeah. stepped foot on this land. Another cool thing I found was a rooftop garden in Sydney, um, in Everly. It's mm. um, started by Indigenous startup called Yerabingan, and mm. they've brought to life a 500-metre square space on top of an office building. Um, there's more than 2,000 medicinal, edible and cultural plants. Yeah, I've been there. I've I've been to a few, I've been to two functions there. My, our friend, mutual friend, um, Tiani had her 40th there. Wow. And it it is the most beautiful rooftop garden you've ever seen. Like it's not the most beautiful, but it's like, it's full of indigenous and natives and it's just incredible. But just, yeah, imagine the medicinal things that we could know about that Mm -hmm. we don't know about. You know, even the most natural naturopaths and all of the healers of that like they are all so eastern yeah 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 that's right why why are we why have they not consulting indigenous elders yeah and learning how to use our local native plants to medicinal purposes so this week i'm going to talk about a woman called buwei yang chow Mm -hmm. she sounds chinese she is Chinese. Uh-huh. She is Chinese. She was born in the Zhangzhou province in eastern China in 1889. Wow. At a young age, she was sent to Tokyo to study to become a medical doctor. Prior to her going to Tokyo, she'd never had any interest in cooking and only came to it, she claimed, after finding Japanese cuisine uneatable. Uneatable. Love it. Is that her Not inedible. Not inedible. <laughs> Uneatable. You can't eat this because it's yuck, she said. Actually a word or she made that up. She's made that up, but I love it. 
I'm going to see if that is a word, uneatable. It is. It's not fit to be eaten. It's a word. It's a word in the dictionary. Wow. So there you go. Shove that up your bum (laughs) and eat it. After graduating, she returned to China where she was a well-respected physician in her community. It was there that Bu Wei met the noted linguist Yuan Ren Chao and the two were married in 1921. The couple then moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1938, where Yuan Ren offered his skills in translating and language instruction for the military. Bu Wei often followed her husband on his research interviews conducted both in China and among the Chinese expatriate community in the United States. While he was asking people about pronunciation and phonetics, she was asking how dishes were prepared and with what methods and ingredients. And so, without really ever intending to publish a cookbook, she had amassed an incredible repertoire of Chinese cuisine. After being urged to compile her knowledge into a book by her friends, Bu Wei began the arduous process of formally documenting her knowledge, putting her medical research and practice on hold for a period and with a limited grasp on the English language, she would methodically test each recipe and write it out in Chinese. Then her husband and her daughter, Rulan, would take turns editing and translating into English. Describing the making of the book, Bu Wei wrote, I cooked my dishes in Chinese, my daughter Rulan put my Chinese into English, and my husband, finding the English dull, put much of it back into Chinese again. (laughs) Thus, when I call a dish mushrooms, stir shrimps, Rulan says that's that's not English and that it ought to be shrimps fried with mushrooms. But UN Ren argues that if if Mr. Smith can go to town in a movie, why can't mushrooms stir shrimps in a dish? (laughs) He's got a point. Yeah, and she's got a real personality. Yeah, she sounds sassy. I like she it. She does. Yeah. Apparently yeah. the the family argued so much that the phrasing, about the phrasing of certain recipes and techniques, yeah. that the f- frequent quarrels nearly caused permanent rifts between the mother and the daughter. Oh, she says, I don't know many scoldings and answering backs and quarrels, Rulan, and how many we went through. And if kind friends had not come to our rescue to get the book done in a, in a last midnight rush, the strained relations between a mother and a daughter would have been broken. Can you imagine? They've, like, called them in to be like, right, now you go in that room. Yeah. Roland, and you go in that room. Bouet, you go over there. And, yep. and just do, stop looking at each other. Stop it. Stop. Yes, stop. It is then... Yourself. It is then that, hopefully with a hint of sarcasm, Bu Wei writes, all the credit for the good points of the book is mine and all the blame <laughs> for the bad points is Rulan's. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Oh, she's hilarious. Oh. And then she turns to her husband in the book for whom oh, she, God, yeah. to quote, must blame for all the negative contributions he has made toward the making of the book, unquote. She sounds like such a typical Chinese mother. Chinese mum, yes. She'd be yelling at you that she loves you. Yeah, yeah, and such good sense of humour, like that her way is the only way and the right way. No one else knows what they're talking about. And she'd be smacking (laughs) your hands if you tried to stir something. You were stirring it the wrong way. Yeah. Imagine her watching those TikToks of people cooking rice. Oh, she'd give Uncle Roger a 
run for his money, wouldn't she? Right, yeah. Of the hundreds of recipes in the book, only one is attributed directly to Yuan Ren Chow and it's in its entirety. Stirred eggs. Scrambled eggs. No, stirred eggs. But is it scrambled eggs? It's stirred eggs. <laughs> <laughs> you just stir them. In fact, the few people in the world who are at all familiar with this cookbook today are unfortunately familiar with it because of that one particular recipe. Oh. And so it is from the chows and this cookbook that we get terms like stir fry. Mm which was only used as a verb in the book rather than a noun or an adjective as it is today. Yeah. And pot sticker. Do you know what a pot sticker is? A dumpling. Yeah, we don't use that term in this country, but in America they Mm. say pot stickers. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to those um, recognised contributions to the English language, the book instructed the typical American cook on the fine points of preparing Chinese cuisine. And so it can be said that what Julia Child did for French cooking in the United States, Bu Wei Yang Chow did for Chinese cooking. She was literally the first person to bring Chinese cooking to America. Yeah. And teach wow. them how to, to make them uh, make it themselves. Oh, imagine being her friend. Mm. And he asked over for dinner parties. Oh. Just for dinner. So Yum. Good. Pot stickers so and stir fried eggs. No stirred eggs, stir fry everything else. <laughs> I have to say, researching Buwei did make me order Chinese food. So I tempt you all mm-hmm. to not eat Chinese food in the next 48 hours. I promise you <laughs> all will be wanting to eat Chinese food. What did you order? I ordered dumplings, pot stickers. Mm-hmm. I did just the normal pork dumplings and then I got the yeah. Long bao as well, which is yeah. the soup ones. Yeah. And my favourite dish is the, you know, the green beans with pork mince? Yes. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. It was enough. Was it from the place we always go to? The, the Shanghai dry- Dumpling House. Yeah. yeah. Certainly yeah. was. Yum. Yeah, it's so good. Because I wanted to go out for dinner with you last night, but you were CBF. Yeah, I CBF'd it. So I um, got that instead. That's where I, I would have said we have to go to have some Chinese for dinner. Yeah, I've been going. I've been, for some reason, I've had cravings for like sweet and sour pork and mm. like the old school kind of. Mm. I've got it, look, my mouth's watering. I feel like I'm not just... old school Chinese, old school Australian Chinese. Yeah, I've got to say, yeah, true. What you used to have in the eighties, certainly... you'd go and 70s. sit around a lazy Susan. Oh, Deidre Chambers! What, what a, a coincidence! I'll shove over. What is what's her name? I'll shove over. Don't put an extra chair in here. <laughs> Shove over, Joni. Shove over, Joni. Put an extra chair in here. Um, like my brother is listening to this. He's probably just like wanting to like yeah, scratch, scream, scratch his ears out and tell us what it is because he would know you, it, I guarantee you. Do you remember we went to Chinese in a freshwater? Yes. In Sydney and it's just on the little main strip there and yeah. they had like proper old school uh, cheapest chips, but I yeah. remember getting glasses of red wine. You and I would have glasses of red wine in those old 
wine glasses from the 70s, 60s yeah. and 70s where they were really round, small. Yeah, um, the but they would, glasses. Yeah, and they would fill the red wine to the top where you'd have to, you know, <laughs> and it would cost about three dollars a glass and they were about 275 a glass yes actually you're right they were 275 a glass and we were just like well because we yeah we couldn't believe how cheap they were so of course we had 82 each (laughs) imagine what they would have been saying out they would have been looking through their little push door kitchen going oh look at the wine out of a box look at those white alcoholics out there (laughs) Drinking up there, look out their red tea. And they're like eating their lemon just, chicken. We've just made seventeen dollars off this box. <laughs> eating their special fried rice and spring rolls. Sour pork. Oh God, they would have absolutely. Um oh that was good. Well, we w- good air. We wouldn't I'm have hungry. been the first. So yeah, it's dinner time. It is dinner time. Um, oh, so can we I just quickly read out an email that we got today? Yeah, of course. Which was really sweet. Um, Love it when we get emails. Yeah, oh, me too. and we should also mention we've had a few people who have uh, who have donated to to our oh, podcast yeah. fund via the ACAST supporter link, and we just wanted to say a big, big. Thank you to those Thank people you. who have donated. Um, that has really helped us. We were able to buy another microphone. Um, it helps us with our ACAR subscription. It helps us with our um, any extra equipment we need to get with, you know, plugins in GarageBand and stuff like that. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Simone who sent us an email and wanted to just say thank you for acknowledging the mums out there who plan, ponder and prepare meals every day for their kids. She writes every single day. Day. (laughs) Annie, she says, Annie, you made me giggle when you mentioned you were over-preparing three meals a day every single day for yourself. Mm. She says in brackets, I was laughing and nodding along and I love that you both acknowledge the mums who do it every day for their families. Yeah, Yeah. heroes. Um, I just wanted to say I don't I didn't in any way mean to offend anyone by saying I'm so glad I don't have children and I'm glad that about the decisions I make. I do stand by that decision obviously. Yeah. But um there are so many mums out there. I just wanted to say quickly as well I, I was it this podcast was this you and I having this conversation about certain women who say I love my children so much but if given the opportunity to do it again I probably wouldn't no that wasn't I just I just want to say that there are some women I have two girlfriends who've said that they had children later in life though Mm, mm -hmm. maybe that makes a huge difference yeah um but I do remember having this one particular conversation with a girlfriend of mine and she said oh Dal I'll tell you right now, I love him. I love him. Like, you know, he's my son. Mm. But if if I had to go back in time and make this choice, I wouldn't have chosen it. I'd, I'd yeah. not do it. And yeah, I, I just want to say that it's okay yeah, it's to okay. say that kind of thing. That doesn't mean that you are a bad mum. 
it doesn't mean that you are the devil. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to feel. I mean, obviously feel guilt because that is what we do. But please acknowledge that that doesn't mean you love your children any less mm-hmm. because you might say, I would probably have not have done this if I'd known what I was in for. It's okay to say that. Some women yeah. don't want to say that and that's okay too. Um, but when it comes to being a mum, I think people give – Mums a really hard time about being really honest sometimes about saying, I probably wouldn't have done this. Yeah, because it's hard. It's so incredibly hard. I mean, I only know from being a nanny how incredibly hard it is and I could hand that over every night at 6, 7 p.m. I only know from watching friends do it and I'm like, (laughs) how do you? I thought you meant friends, watching friends. I only know from watching friends. And they only had that one, oh, they had that one little boy and then he went away never to be seen again. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, even just when I'm, when we're out and that you're at a restaurant and someone's having a tantrum and you're just like, mm-hmm. how do you, this is your life. You yeah. probably get that every day. Yeah. We do acknowledge the mums. Yeah, and how hard it is. But, it, it, of course, rewarding as well and, you yeah. know, you wouldn't change it for anything now and you love your children okay so next week what are we going to do next week we're on to this theme oh yeah let's do women in fashion do you want to fashion okay yeah that will be good because i bet you there's a lot of fucked up things that you can come up with for your historical look back on women in fashion and what women have been what women have been. Yes, I'll tell you all. Bloody, the, I can tell you all the story all about to do the Twitter fight I had with Tara Moss, the author, about oh, fashion. Can't wait for that one. Mm. Well, have a wonderful week, everyone. Yes, we will and chat we'll... to you again next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.